0: grief for a lot of people is like their mind is trying to update the information. You know, one of the things that people talk to me about is that brutal waking up where like you kind of forget and then you remember again and then you, it's right. so awful. Yeah. And honestly, it's because all the compass points in your life are being updated by the by the brain. And at some point, and it's different for each person, that goes away. Your brain remembers that your person is no longer there. But there's a period of time where it's like this electrical wave that has to keep rolling over your system. And so fresh grief is like
1: this full contact sport. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Live Boldly podcast with Sarah shulton Kranz. This is an inspiring podcast for those seeking proven ways of healing, growing, and transcending their lives. I'm a legendary leader in healing, acclaimed author, keynote, and TEDx speaker, a mom, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, every other week I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from hand-picked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this like i said i was an easy yes to the canyon but it was so fascinating how many people started sending me messages about like oh my gosh you need to be careful like when i went to costa rica and i was leading a retreat down there people were like oh my gosh people get bit by the you know mosquitoes or you need to be so careful and so so i used to be a person that listened to that and stopped what i did and it's like now i've moved to a point of like no i say yes anyway But then it was a realization of there's a whole nother layer to say yes to that I was still hiding behind just a little bit that was a massive difference. And so like submerging into the canyon allowed me to get underneath like what was those those next layers for me to fully step out on my purpose on my calling and go all in. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Live Boldly Podcast. Today I have on an incredible guest, Megan Rorden Jarvis. She is a psychotherapist specializing in trauma and grief and loss and works in private practice in Washington, D.C. This episode, go grab your journals, like I always say, take notes. It is freaking awesome. We are going to be doing an uh, Instagram live together at some point soon, and so be on the lookout for that as well. Before I dive in, I want to share with you that we have three healing retreats remaining. That's it in the Grand Canyon. Uh, they are redoing the water pipeline throughout the entire Grand Canyon starting this year and well in 2023. And so we have Thanksgiving and then two in January. They include three months of weekly coaching. You are going to find a community that loves you, supports you. It's They're, they're going to be your best friends for life. Let me just put it to you that way along with a one-on-one coaching session with me and the five or six-day deep, transformational, uh, life-shifting, changing, healing, hilarious, most fun retreat that you will ever experience. We do everything from coaching, uh, energy healing work, nature healing work, adventure, hiking, getting out of your own way with your barriers, your mindset. really diving into your heart space and uh, physically allowing you to go to a space that you never thought imagined. So if you're interested, message me. Let's get you in. Let's see if it's the right fit for you. Sarah at SarahShiltonKranz.com or just find me on Instagram at SarahShiltonKranz or Facebook at SarahShiltonKranz and I uh, just message me. Send me an inbox message and I will return your message. Let's set up a call. So let's dive into this space. As you know, I went through my own deeply, deep loss this summer. My mom and I, best of friends, and she passed away on July 6th, and uh, I ran three healing retreats in July. One in the Grand Canyon, another in the San Juan Mountains with bestselling author uh, Florence Williams. Go grab her book. If you have not read Heartbreak, it's really good. And then I also ran a water healing retreat in Alaska, kayaking next to glaciers. If you have not listened to the podcast yet about my own grief journey throughout the month of July, go do it. It's 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 touching. Um, This losing mom has been by far none the most difficult, life changing, jaw dropping um, and yet inspiring uh, for me space that I have ever been in. It's transformed and transitioned my own life she and i very energetically not only genetically connected right obviously but also very uh, energetically connected on a spiritual level and the more that this unfolds for me the more i find that we truly are and continue to be one in the same i want to just message i just want to mention something to you if you have not if you have people that are very close to you and if you have not recorded conversations i highly suggest that you do put your phone down and uh just press record on your voice notes and take take some take some good recordings of them ask the hard questions i did that with my mom on one of our very last times evenings together not realizing it was going to be one of our last evenings and uh, i didn't tell her that i was recording the conversation (laughs) And we got into some really deep conversation and now I'm listening to it. I haven't even been able to listen to the whole thing yet, but as I have listened to a lot of it, there's so much foreshadowing into what I then found out um, or not even found out, but throughout the transition of her moving from, you know, here on this space on earth physically into my now guided angel above, it's just wild, you know, and so have the conversations, ask the hard questions, ask the deep questions, get honest and real with one another and record them. It's just mind boggling to me what happens when you listen to them and how much foreshadowing that we do have in life. So let's dive in though with Megan. Uh, As I said, she's a psychotherapist specializing in trauma and grief and loss and works in private practice. After experiencing PTSD after the deaths of both of her parents within two years of each other, Megan started the platform Grief Is My Side Hustle, which includes her popular blog, links to her podcast under the same name, and her free writing workshop, Grief Mates. Megan offers public and private sector consultation to leadership teams working to increase emotional fluency and care in decision making and intentional business culture development. Megan's memoir, End of the Hour, published by Zippy Books, is forthcoming. Dive into this podcast episode with me. Please go grab your journals. It's a really good one. And like I said, you know, Megan and I have become friends and uh, we will be doing some Instagram live. So go in and watch the stories and participate. I'm all about the conversation and bringing people in. So we'd love to bring you into the conversation as well. With that, share this platform with others, get it out there, put it on your social media, tag me, and let's keep being ripples of learning and growing and healing for one another. I love you and thank you for being here. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Megan. We are going to be talking grief. We're going to be talking grief and how it uh, manifests and shows within the body. I love this conversation so much because I'm all about the body, listening to my body and my intuition. And uh, let's just face it. I was up all night crying last night. So (laughs) (laughs) I woke up this morning. I'm like, my eyes are so puffy and I have five calls today. (laughs) I don't care. So there you go. Um, So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your jam space and everybody go grab your journals because this is going to be good.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I, my name is Megan Reardon Jarvis. I am talking to you from a suburb of Washington, DC, where I've been forever. And I work as a trauma informed therapist who specializes in grief and loss. I also have the experience of having had PTSD after my mom died suddenly in 2019. So my dad died of cancer in 2017, which was a death that I participated in. He got a diagnosis. We knew his illness was what it was. He died exactly as the doctor said, you know, basically a year after his cancer was diagnosed, which is the trajectory of that illness. My mother had a, a stomach ache. Um, she and I took a trip. She wasn't feeling well. I came back to where she was on Cape Cod. I was there with my family. And, um, and actually I've been listening to your podcasts. And so I think you'll appreciate this part of the story, which is I was about an hour away from her house. Driving to pick up my godson, and I had the sensation of water breaking inside my body, like like it felt when I gave birth. And I looked down, expecting there to be wetness, although that you know that um, shop is closed, so that would have been very surprising. And um, and I had a really clear thought, which was she died. And so I called my husband who was back at my mother's house an hour away. I was in Boston. She was on Cape Cod. And I said, have you seen my mom? And he said, no. And I said, I think she died. I need you to go in. And she had died. So I don't believe that that was the moment that she died, but I believe it was the moment that my body knew to let me know that she had died. And so sort of from the still point of that, I had some old childhood trauma, which also had to do with a sudden death of a a teenager who was beloved by my family, sort of like relapse. I had this codependent, reactive, like I got to take care of everybody thing that worked as long as it worked, right? Like at some point in your grief journey, so I have five brothers and sisters. There were a lot of people to call. I had a van, a minivan full of children. I had to get them back somewhere. My mom was deeply religious. I knew I needed to pray over her. So there was a lot to, you know, then there's a funeral, and then there's the whole community. Um, and so i I functioned on adrenaline until um until I didn't. And the interesting thing is, you know, I specialize in really, you know, you had a a grief and loss therapist on this week. I loved everything she said. I talk all that same language. And in my office, I provide a lot of treatments. Like she also did EMDR. So I, you know, I do a lot of body centered work. So I pretty much knew like from the moment it began that some of the thoughts in my mind were PTSD related, so so the very first thing I thought was that it was my fault she died. Oh, and sure. I had the yeah. same thing. <sighs> Yeah. So, it, and that was pretty brutal. And that is sort of at the root of my PTSD. And I feel like it's really important to tell people that sort of like an eating disorder addiction, PTSD is something you live with. So it's not like, oh, I don't think that anymore. It was just the anniversary of my mother's death. And I had to send my husband a text that was like, cause we were in different countries. And I was like, I need you to know that this is where I am. I need you to know this anniversary is 10 times worse than I anticipated. I need you to know the PTSD thoughts are with me. Because, you know, it's important in your own caretaking to sort of know what takes care of you and to not be alone in the moment with the feelings that have overwhelmed me in the past as part of my treatment for myself. Right. What I, what I spend time now. So I, I went actually to an inpatient facility in Tennessee really because I didn't have any choice. I mean, I just kept getting sicker and sicker and sicker. It was pretty absurd by the time. I was just late. I was prone in my basement. I threw my back out. I couldn't. I couldn't walk. These crazy small bones grew across my ears, um, which actually you might because surfers and adventurers have this happen. I grew up on the water, but it's it's called surfer's ear, and it's when oh, yeah. in cold water and wind, right? Yeah. I know what that is. I don't have it. I've never had it, but I know what that is. (laughs) Right. Okay. You know what it is. No one else has ever heard of it. And it's not something that a 45 year old mom who drives a minivan typically experiences. You know, when I was looking it up online, it was all surfers in California who were like, man, I lost seven days because of the surgery. So I, so I really, my body really was just sending me the signals of like, you can't, you can't outrun this. And so I, I ended up, with this whole meta of like, I still had my clinician's mind. I still deeply understood how I was getting sick and why I was getting sick. And I absolutely understood. And I was lucky to know where to go and what kind of treatments, because I know many people who have languished for a long time before they've been able to find that out. But when I came out of treatment, I really had this like, God, even though I knew all the things there is to know you can't outrun what grief has to do inside your system. Yeah. And yeah. so since then, because most of what I know, you know, I think I say this a lot, like if I went back to when people paid for me to go to school and stuff, I would go through neuroscience because the brain is so fascinating to me. And I know way more than the average bear, but nothing close to the what the neuroscientists um, and neurologists that I interview know. I know a lot about how we have a side of our brain that activates our system and a side of our brain that calms our system. And people have intrinsic understanding of how to heal themselves in grief. I mean, your your journey of hiking and being out in the world and moving is, you know, it's so like instinctive understanding. And I just like to back that up with some science for people. Like I like to explain to people, yeah, the reason that you wanted to like, you know, there's a pretty famous story of a woman who's, whose son committed suicide, died by suicide. I have to really train myself with that word. He died by suicide and she ended up hiking these mountains um, in his honor. And, and when she talks about it, she's like, it was really surprising that that's what I chose to do, although she had hiked with him. And what I know is it's not an intellectual pursuit the energy that's in your, inside your body. And that we really have to like work with our brains to let them calm so that we can activate curiosity because there's no going back to where you came from. So that's like this whole, you know, it, untenable loss really breaks, like it breaks through the whole vision of your life At like a hurricane. Like there may be some pictures and maybe a rocking chair that's left, but like, All of the rest of it is covered in shards of glass. And unlike anything else, and when I'm saying loss, I mean divorce, your pet dies, your business goes under, you have to sell your house. I don't just mean death. Right. You, you have to build the like yellow brick road that you're trying to walk down as you're walking and (laughs) everybody's body has ideas about how to do that. And some of them are working with us. And some of them are going to work against us. And so what I said to you before we turned on the mic is, you know, I think about grief as the one thing that everybody's going to end up having. The one thing we're all going to be as a griever. And my daughter, who's 14 now, but when she was 11, she came home with this paper, like, mom, I have to take this class about the human body. And I was like, yeah, no, you do. You have to take it because your body's gonna go through this whole significant change. And what we don't want is for you to get your information about your body from like Jonah on the bus. We want a grown-up who's informed, answer questions, who can pull the questions out of you to teach you about what to expect. And in my office, and and some grief and loss boards that I help monitor. Um, I, it's just devastating when people are like, I haven't slept in two years. I don't know them. They're not my client. It's not really appropriate for me to reach out and be like, find an EMDR practitioner. You know, your brain is dysregulated. So I don't do that, but I have a podcast. I'm writing a memoir. I have a clinical book. Like I'm, I'm trying to help us become more grief informed about, the fact that we all grieve with our bodies, and that there is some predictable and reliable information that is helpful when you're on that landslide of
1: grieving. I love you. <laughs> like, is that appropriate for me to say after only? Absolutely, just- we right. have already fallen in love five minutes ago. <laughs> it's uh, it's in. It's so everything that you're talking about is yes, 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 yes. Yeah, everything and the hardest part for me as well is witnessing people where their bodies are breaking down because they aren't understanding that the trauma sits in the body in every way. And, you know, there's so many, so many directions here. Uh, I'm going on a trail. I leave on Sunday and I'm going for 10 days on the Sierra high route and it's different than the high Sierra route, which I've done twice now. Um, there are There's no trail. It's There's a proportion of a trail for a couple of days, but most of what I'm gonna be going through um, is simply waypoints. I've never done this before. Yes, I'm a little bit scared. And yes, that's why it's really exciting. And yeah. so, and I just, you know, I texted somebody um, just before this and said, they asked me about it and I said, you know, It's so metaphorical of life for me right now where my true north is and coming home to who I am. And am I going to get lost a few times? Probably. Is it going to be a little bit scary? Absolutely. Is it everything that I need right now? Yes, yes, and yes. Because when you go through loss, when you go through grief, what I'm witnessing within my own journey right now is how much that it's bringing up my own past my grief over my marriage, my grief over my breakups, my grief over my heartbreak, my grief over my abandonment, my grief over like so many different things that have happened in my life. My grief over choosing, and it was, yes, it was my choice to move to California when I really just wanted to be home with my family. I really just, and, and it was my choice because I followed my former husband out here for his own work, not realizing that. All of what I thought was going to be never happened. I never got the house with the picket fence and well, I had it, but I don't have it anymore. And I don't have it anymore. And, you know, grief is something that we we really need to learn to honor. It's it's is it something that that you know we need to sit in all the time? No. However, we do have to honor it. We do have to walk through it, we do have to find our own joy outside of that grief and that loss and we also have to realize that it's a forever journey that every single one of us are going to go down every single one of us well you bring up something really interesting and
0: and the um the author and and teacher Mary Frances O'Connor who wrote a great book called The Grieving Brain does a really nice job of explaining to us why we end up like thinking about our dog dying when we were 12, when our husband, you know, leaves us. And it's because the brain is basically like a predictive tool. So I know what this coffee is going to taste like because I've had coffee before. What's interesting in grief, and I'm getting chills even as I'm saying this, because I really embody a concrete understanding of this. We have to do novel things.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We have to do novel things because it is all, it doesn't matter if my grandfather died. My mother dying is not the same as my grandfather's death. And so we can pull tiny pieces of information, but coffee tastes like coffee, tastes like coffee pretty much. Yeah. And so my brain saying, I know what this is. I know how to handle it in grief, it is much more about the attachment, the tether of the person. You know, I described my mom as like the tent pole. She was the center pole in the tent. Yeah. All fell down when that pole wasn't there, but I've lost lots of side poles before. And I didn't lose myself when they went down, but when my mom, when, and when my dad died, I didn't, when my mom died, I did. And our, our we are beholden to whatever, you know, the definition that I use, I think it's up on my Instagram today is that, you know, that grief is the energy that is created by loss, right? So it's the energy that we are holding inside our body and it's new, it's totally new. And, you know, I think about all the terrible things that people say to grievers, like, you know, they expect them to recover. I just, I just really think like with enough effort and enough wise voices, we could just get people to never say that shit anymore. Yeah. To understand that, uh, you know, like I'm a, I'm a parent. I know you're a parent. No one has ever asked me if I've recovered from parenting. Like, are you back to being like back to being what? There is no going. I mean, even if none of my children were on this earth anymore, that would not make me a parent. And so there's a lot of like, we have to understand that for ourselves. We have to integrate that for ourselves. And so what happens in fresh grief for a lot of people is like their mind is trying to update the information. You know, one of the things that people talk to me about is that brutal waking up where like you kind of forget and then you remember again and then you, and right. it's so awful yeah and honestly it's because all the compass points in your life are being updated by the by the brain and at some point and it's different for each person that goes away your brain remembers that your person is no longer there but there's a period of time where it's like this electrical wave that has to keep rolling over your system. And so fresh grief is like this full contact sport. And I teach this whole class and give this whole lecture about like, listen, it's going to impact your eating and your sleeping. It's going to impact your um your mood. You're going to have more anger, more anxiety than ever before. And here's why. You know, the left side of your brain is a calming side, but the right side is the activation side. And that houses the little limbic system, which is the same one that helps you run away from a bear. But when someone that you, that you orbit, you map celestial stars, you map your life around them when they are no longer there, that boat is as lost as if there was a bear trying to pull it apart and your system reacts accordingly. And so when people are like, well, you know, time doesn't heal. It does a little because you begin to be able to map yourself in the ocean. But novelty, like you are talking about taking this trail that you've never taken before is where we start to move forward with grief. I'm not just sitting here where the wave knocked me over. I'm not just underneath the tent where the pole went down sitting, which is fine, by the way. I mean, I, I would tell you when my mom died, I probably sat for a year. Um, there is a period of time where like you just, you know, you get punched, you stay down. Yeah. But at some point, and there's some really great, um, there are really some really great lectures and modern grief theory that talk about this. One is the dual process model, which is that you're going to be grieving and you're going to be living. And you're, you know, they they talk about it as loss oriented, and they talk it's strobe and shoe, and they talk about it as restoration oriented. So you're doing both. It's the both and you talked about that on your podcast before. And there's also, as you described, and again, I, when you were talking about it, I felt jealous about it. There is also this continuing bonds, which is like, how do you bring your person into your present day, even though they're not on this earth anymore? How do you have a continual ongoing relationship with them that is present? You're not just having it with their memory. How do you do that? And, and, you know, again, you are an active person in your body. You have embraced like all the tools in your belt, I think primed you to be able to just like, know, like have your own about how to move forward. And you're sharing it with us all sort of from the place of the wound. Most people don't have even 13% of what is, and, and, you know, cause you are crying all night, even with all of that. That's how painful it is. And that's how I feel about my story, which is like, nobody knows more than I do. Okay. That is total lie. There are plenty of people that know more than I do, (laughs) but I've read all the things, studied all the things, done all the treatments, talked to all the people. Right. And I still had to check myself into an inpatient facility because that knowing all the things did not inoculate the energy doing what it did to my body, which was really overwhelming to the point of illness
1: you know and i'm so proud of you first of all for doing that and secondly for sharing it because the thing that i can't stand i'm just going to state it be careful who you follow because this world has a lot of people that say but don't do that talk but don't walk and so you know i try and i mean who we're all human so we're all at fault at some point but i really try to show up as the person that I really am. And if I don't, if for some reason it's like, you know, Sarah, hey, I check myself or I have people that check me Um, because ultimately we learn by witnessing. I think it's a, it's a beautiful, I used to be a teacher. We learned our kids, the kids that I taught learned by also watching. And so it's not only about stating it, it's about actually doing it and, and sharing that. Yes, I had to do this too. Um, you know, just like I shared in my podcast and I've shared over and over and over again in different things that I've done that I went through a journey where I drank too much when I was, uh, when I, when I first found out about my husband, I mean, it was over New Year's Eve and my kids and I still talk about that one New Year's Eve where mom landed in the bushes smoking a cigarette with, you know, one of the girls and saying, you know, Hey, the girl, one of my friends was like. Hey, what's going on with you? And I'm like, Oh, nothing. It's all good. You know, trying to just figure out where I was at that point in my life. And it wasn't all good. And yet we all go through those periods where we do things that, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And uh, I don't even smoke. That's what's really funny. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even smoke. I'm like, (laughs) I I think that morning and I was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) But
0: but again, I think you're talking about having a lot of compassion about, you know, sort of like we would for a friend or a sister or something, or, you know, a, a kid, like having a lot of compassion about like, listen, you didn't have a, a
1: way. You didn't, I didn't have a way. Accident, I had no so idea. You ended up smoking I, and drinking like that's a way. I, I, my my entire life had just imploded and my husband was in rehab and you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I was calling out for help. I I remember that night before walking in the door. I called the rehab facility that my husband was at and I said, "I need help. I need help. I need help. I need help. I've been asking for help and nobody would answer my call. And so what did I do? I did what many people do. I turned to that night going, okay, numbing it out because I don't know what else to do. And so it's I think it there's so many lessons in this, which is listen to those people that are seeking help, be there for them, create space for them, and also be super compassionate for to yourself when you don't have a way and that's your way, you know? And so, but you said something that was really interesting. You said fresh grief is a full contact sport and that I had to write that down and that's going to go plastered right onto my refrigerator because it really is. And, you know, even that night back in new year's Eve, 2013, it was a full contact sport that night. And so, and sometimes we have that full contact sport. It's, to this morning, um, or really early this morning, I woke up and I was like, okay, Sarah, let's try to get outside and go for a run. Like just move your body a little bit. And I'm finding that running is really hard for me right now. And I think it's because of the carrying and, uh, let's dive into that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so I, what I would say immediately to that is if that's your instinct, that is probably true. So I talk to people, one of the questions that people ask is like, okay, are there any universals that are good? For for grief, like any anything that you can just say, Megan, this is good across the board, regardless of what's happened to you. Movement of your body is one of those, but it is not all running is good, all yoga is good. All you know, people are like, I do yoga, and then I gotta ask them the question: What kind of yoga do you do? Though, are we talking Yin yoga? Are we doing like forty one sun salutations? Because what can happen, and and you know, the more that you study the body, the more sort of you understand that when I'm, when we're talking about stress on the body, we're not talking about like, Oh, you were stressed out. You're in traffic. We're talking about like, what happens to your system? What happens to your lungs and your heart and your digestive enzymes and your running can show up on a stress test as more stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that drives me a little bit bonkers when you open a magazine, like even a good magazine, like, like one that is therapeutic, they will often say things like go out for, you know, go out for a run. And like, that is a too simplistic answer, first of all, I don't want anyone to get their mental health care from a magazine, but I don't know why we couldn't just say, center yourself in your energy first. Do you feel too highly activated, then let's move towards calming activities. Mm. If your right brain, which is the activation center, a lot of people talk about being really anxious and grief. They're anxious about a million things. What we give them, them are tasks to meet that energy, which are soothing. Now, one that will come up is like, oh, let's do meditation. And not every anxious person can even close their eyes. Right. So meditation is great, but meditation might be walking meditation. Meditation might be a puzzle. Meditation might be singing. Meditation might be walking a labyrinth. It's not necessarily going to be sitting in the own position with your eyes closed because for many people being that still inside their body when there's so much energy inside there is terrifying. So, so part of what, um, well, let me just say it like this, because I think it's an interesting thing to know that we have this fight flight system. It's everyone's heard of it before, you know, fight flight, and we either call it freeze or feign death. There's another one that people talk about, although it's not as brain centered, um, which is fawn, which is where you sort of befriend. And there is one that comes before all of those, which is, which is, um, the sort of Mr. Rogers way of things, which is, you know, you look for helpers and that comes to us from Stephen Porges. And so here's what happens, a bad thing happens in our life. And the very first thing that we do is we look to people to try, try to help us. Now there's tons of folks out there who grew up in homes where there was no help. So that little looking to people is gonna take a nanosecond. I don't really look to people cause I'm not conditioned to do that. Then our body says, how do I fight this? Fight is always the first one, which most people don't know. Again, if you grew up in a household or in a life where fighting got you nowhere, it's going to be over in a second. Your body is already going to say, I know that one doesn't work. And then flight. What does flight look like? Running away. When you can't run away, the the brain switches from the activation state into the left side, which is where we do dissociation and depression, and it freezes. Freeze is where trauma is. Mm. We're in freeze when we're stuck and we can't do anything. That is where the memories lock in. That is where the experience comes into the body. It's not that it can't happen in the other two, but it mostly happens in this one. And fight, flight, freeze, universal, progressive, all human bodies, unless there's like head or physical trauma. So when we get a piece of news, It matters, right? If I knew my dad was dying of cancer, the kind of flight fight response that, hey, he died, it's not gonna be as explosive. When it's sudden, all the enzymes, all the things, and what happens when you go into a really strong response is like all the blood rushes to your stomach and your major organs because your body is so smart. It's afraid that you're gonna have your limbs torn off. So it's like, well, we better protect the heart and the lungs and the kidney. Your body go, is flooded with adrenaline. Cortisol levels go out of whack. I mean, it's like you run a marathon. And for many people in grief, they stay up there for a while. What happens, this little amygdala, which is a tiny little part in the back of the brain and part of the limbic system enlarges. And when it does, it's way, way back by your, the base of your neck and your head, it enlarges and it chokes off the oxygen to the rest of your brain, so your frontal lobe, where we do all of our like, oh, should I go to Walmart later? That's behind your forehead. It that that's like six miles of energetic behind your forehead from the back of your of your neck. That that energy doesn't go anywhere. So grievers come into my office and they say like, I have I had the weirdest thoughts. And I had these terrible thoughts. I heard that my dad died and I thought, who's going to drive me to you know whatever. That's because the oxygen was not going down its normal pathways to get to your thinking. It also impacts your memory. Your hippocampus isn't functioning the way it normally would. And and the brain fog that can, you know, critical thinking, that can last months and years. So that little reaction that happens to defend you, to save you and protect you, sends out almost like You know, it's almost like air through the vents. It's like a lingering perfume inside your system for a very long time. And we don't have great science about how long that lasts. Depending on what your childhood was like, depending on what your stress levels were like, you might be in that activated state for a long time. So when people are coming into my office, that's what I'm looking at. Are you in an activated state that looks like you're totally dissociated and you can't even think about anything and you mostly sleep? Then what I try to do is add some energy. Let's do some brisk walking. That's what I start with and some journaling. Let's do some writing and some moving. If what you are is like, I can't sleep. I can't stop thinking. I can't, then, then it's like the yin and the yang. I try to, I try to activate the soothing part of the brain. And there are all kinds of trauma techniques, you know, that are body centered, left nostril breathing, right nostril breathing, these, um, vagal toning exercises. There's there's a lot that a trauma therapist can kind of add, but most people think I feel this crazy because it's just my feelings instead of this is so hard. And I feel this crazy because because my body took the blow and my body is not right. And my body is not as it normally is, but it is not uncommon for people to tell me that they have like diarrhea for a year or that they a little bit throw up or can't eat a whole series of
1: foods because their body just won't take it in. Yep. That was me actually after in 2013, that was yes. me in 2013. I forced myself to eat an apple a day. I yes. it was, I lost so much weight and yes. it was, it was the trauma and it was the, there was so much grief and loss. There was yes. so much so much that I was dealing with. And yeah, I, I love also how you were talking about the fact that it depends on if you knew that this person was going to pass away or if it was very sudden. It does yeah. matter. It really does matter. Yeah. It does matter. Uh, so you're working with, so give us a few techniques. Can you share a few techniques with us that people can use that are in this space? You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is sort of knowing
0: yourself as a griever. So it's not so much a technique as it is sort of like having a knowledge of what, what do you need? Because whether you're in fresh grief or whether, you know, you're 20 years into grief, what happens to folks is they get the the word that's sort of out there is triggered. We don't love that word, but, but you get sort of pulled like through, through time and space And suddenly, unexpectedly, people always talk about the grocery store. You are really in a a deep state of mourning. And so what what I coach people around that is to say like that, yes, that feels awful, but it's a bit like laughing hysterically. Like it's a full body experience. It doesn't work to tell yourself you shouldn't be laughing hysterically. The body is doing it. So when you get pulled into grief, it just works better to yield if you can. And then know what you need to know. Like I gave the example of sending my husband the text. Like I know that my grief is doubled or tripled if I do not tell someone where I'm at. Like I'm like a little kid that's like, I'm lost. I need to go find a policeman. I I have three people in my life that I will send the text. Like I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to know where I am. And I actually think that's universal. I think people need to be validated, seen and known. And so when people come into my office, I say, "Who are the who are, who's on your grief team? Who are your people?" And and we can come up with a lingo. You know, my husband's responses to me are not like deep, long and profound. They're just like, "I get it. I see you." You know, "Can I give you something? Can I help you?" So there's that, and then also to know what how you need to grieve. So in my experience, people either need to be alone, or they need to be with people. They're either like you described in your podcast, pulling over to the side of the road in the car and sobbing and they need that, or they need the safety of being in a room, maybe even a restaurant with other people so that they can let themselves sort of go a little bit. There's a, there's a misperception that everybody cries in private, but there's a whole host of people who've had early childhood trauma where they're never going to cry by themselves because they're afraid they're going to go into that hole and never come out. Yeah. And then an, another thing that I talk to people about is how do you go close? So what are your grief tools? Like I have a couple of pictures of my mom, I have a voicemail, I have a picture of my dad's hand. I know you have a song, I have a song. Like if we're going to do it, what are we what are our tools? Yeah. And then the last thing I say, because it's important and also it's based on neuroscience is set a timer for seven minutes. Oh, yes. Let yourself grieve for seven full damn minutes. And the neuroscience behind that is that the body, it's almost like babies crying themselves out. Like if you go full fledged sobbing all the way deep down to the bottom of the pool, grief, in about seven minutes, your brain is gonna be like, all right, let's send some endorphins in there. Let's activate the vagus nerve. Let's get them out. Let's help them. So I just give yourself seven minutes and most people I know who get good at this, they don't even need the seven minutes. I'm seven damn minutes. good at that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. yeah. damn good at that, I have to tell you. Yeah,
0: yeah. so that's, those are, that's my like, you know, everybody who comes in to see me about grief, we do sort of a grief protocol we will also run through that terrible thing you know the, what's the thing that people say to you that makes you want to punch them in the face and actually might be doing damage to your relationship there's a lot of at least out there at least you're with him when he died at least you guys had children whatever the at least is again we there should be a general understanding that no one ever say that phrase to a griever but i also do some coaching around um it's really important when you are in that space of need of care and someone believes that they're caring for you, but they've actually punched you, um, to, to be able to give a response to that. So we do some practice around that. And, and generally it sounds like I appreciate you mean that with love it landed differently than that. I don't want to talk about, you know, one thing that happens for people like you, your experience when you lost weight, because our culture thinks that being in a smaller body is valuable, um, people get really like, oh my God, you look amazing. Right. Oh, Are gosh. you kidding me? Like my dad died. I don't look amazing. I look like someone who can't eat after their dad died. And so how do I show up for myself in that moment without maybe burning Uncle Joe to a steak? But how do I show up? And so we practice that. Like, Uncle Joe, I know you mean that with love, but that's, I don't wanna talk about my body. I'd love for you to tell me stories about my dad, but please don't do that again. It hurt because the what happens, and I've seen this time and time again, is I don't say that to Uncle Joe. But then I do not invite him to the next family picnic because I don't like the way it feels to stand next to him because I still have that energy of our last interaction. And Uncle Joe doesn't know what the hell's going on because he doesn't have any energy. He thought what he did was fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so um okay. So one of the tools that I use for those people that are this whole seven minute grieving thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I love. I, I've I learned that at a young age. Just do yeah. it. Just do it, just do it. It's funny, my mom used to actually, she would say to me,, um, just go there, you know, just do it and cry it out and fill it back up with laughter. That was what the her thing. That's what she always said to me. So I, that's exactly what I do. One of the things though that I learned is um, using your using a really good tool of visualizing your heart, like it's a sponge. This is what I do. So y'all can take this and use it. Close your eyes. Imagine that your heart is a sponge. Bring the shit out of it. Watch the tears just come flooding, like just, just pouring out of your sponged heart, right? And then when it comes back up, let it go. And it comes back up, fill it back up with some laughter and some smiles and some joy that you've had this experience in your life. Um, it's just, a, it's a really good tool that I learned a long time ago. I don't know, just, it was just something that I started visualizing and I shared it with somebody once and who was a, some, a gentleman that was also grieving. And he said, Oh my God, that works so well. And I also have my space. My space is my bathroom floor. It always has been ever since I was a little girl. Um, I love just crying on the bathroom floor. The other thing that I just wanted to share from the beginning of this podcast, when you said about your mom and you felt it and I had that same thing with my mom. Whenever she was in pain, I could feel her pain. We were that connected. And I would go to the bathroom floor in the middle of the night and I'd cry because I could literally feel her pain. And then I would call her the next morning and say, hey, were you up at this certain time? Yes, I was. And uh, I always smiled. I was like, oh, I was up at that time too, crying, mom, hmm, check that out. And I think uh, one of the things I just want to bring up is that when you're crying and when you're grieving and when you're going through that pain, just remember that it's not only your energy that you're clearing it's so other as well. And so do it, don't just hold it. in, like just freaking do it. Just honor that and stop. I, one of the things that I just really am tired of is society thinking that emotions and feelings and crying and pain. It's like we become, and So what I talked about on the pod, that we were talking about on the podcast this week was that we're an emotion avoidant society. And I really, my hope is that by me also sharing my emotions, that it gives people the permission to do the same. You know,
0: what's fascinating about that and Mark Brackett at the, um, Center for Emotional Studies at Yale talks about this, um, you know, emotions are just the electrical currents that go on in your body. Yeah. That's it. Feelings are our interpretations of our emotions. So our emotions are just the, they're like, they're from your sympathetic nervous system. We don't control them. So people are always like, you need to control your emotions. Like, no, you don't. And also every human being has sort of like the same series of emotions. Yeah. So we, part of what, there's this word, alexithymia, which basically means like, you don't know what your feelings are. That if I feel, you know, hot in my stomach and I describe that as fear, I can tell myself, but it could be excitement. And there's a lot of emotional experience that runs down the same or similar neural pathways. Anxiety and excitement run down the same neural pathway. So what happens if you allow yourself to imagine that like anxiety, I'm worried about this, could also be I'm excited about this. And I think part of what, again, I just think like we could have more education about that. And for whatever reason, we don't. It's not like the science and the knowledge isn't out there. It's not, most of it's not subjective that we're talking about. It's from- studies that are concrete. But I think, I think what happens is that every griever feels like they are inventing the wheel for themselves and they don't have enough vocabulary to communicate the place that they're in. It's like they're lost in a small street in France and they don't know the words for left and right. And they don't know the words for store and, and bike shop. And we need to give those words And we need to believe them when they say those words. Yeah. Right. And so like, there's this, there's this push pull around the idea that emotions that we just feel in our body that actually are not good or bad, that we're failing. If we assign negative, you know, it's just like, not, you're not a bootstrapper. You're not an American. If like, you're feeling bad as opposed to what we know about it, which is like, they just come and go. Yeah. They just come and go. Like yeah. you're going to be, be sad now. And if you're effective and finish being sad, you will be happy later. Um, and I and I think that the way in which we really abandon grievers is to make them feel like they have to figure that all out on their own. On your On your podcast from this past week, you asked this question that I just loved, which was like, you know, what do we do with the stuff that's unfinished? Mm. how do we show up? And, and in, when you're talking about that heart exercise, you're talking about the tool that we need, which is like our imagination. Yes. Our imagination. Hi. Hello. Is, yeah. But like, think about a really good, um, book that has a, like an amazing sex scene. No one is in your house trying to have sex with you, but you can get super hot off reading those words. That's the power of your imagination. We use a lot of imagination and grief. Yeah. Don't, you know, it isn't so much always that you know exactly how your loved one would respond to you or be, but you know what you need. You know what you need your mom to say. Mm -hmm. You know how you, you know what it felt like to be connected to her. So even if it's like, I don't know, I don't know if she'd tell me to go out on a date with this guy. I don't know if she would like, you know, what the politics look like right now. I don't know because I think it's okay to not know the person who is alive and energetically in need is you. And, you know, half the time, my mom didn't say what I wanted her to say. She said what she said. And then I wish she said, and then we fought about it. And she'd say, gosh, I wish I had said what you needed me to say. What I think of when someone has died is that they are now connected in this quantum physics way to everything better. The purest, most exact form that even though my mom and I butt head, butted heads and hurt each other's feelings, that one of the gifts of her death is that she gets to only ever get it right with me forever. Because in the grace of her, in grace of knowing how I need her, I get to imagine her showing up exactly as she would have wanted to. She always only wanted to show up the way that I needed her. And that I think is the power of the imagination. I can't say that I always know because my mom surprised the shit out of me my whole life. I'd be like, wow, I didn't know that you were so liberal about that. Or wow, boy, you have a really judgmental attitude about that. But I do know that she wanted me to feel love seen and known. And that the quantum physics of her energy, you know, no energy is destroyed. She's out there is that I get to believe that she shows up perfectly. And I think some people believe that that's God. And I think some people believe that that's science. I just know that like, it doesn't all have to only hurt, but it's going to require something that actually makes us separate from lots of other creatures out there, which is we we use that imagination. And that's an incredible tool. So also saying to folks, listen, being curious, being creative, You know, going to art, going to music, we also have to regulate the body so that that part of the brain can light up. Because when we're in a really hyperactive state, that is not a time to ask, like, let's innovate. Like, if I'm sitting here terrified, I'm not going to come up with new ideas. I'm just going to keep banging my head with the old ideas. So that's another reason, you know, if I, if I want so many people yearn for what you describe, which is seeing your mom as a rainbow, knowing she shows up as a set of heart clouds, you know, I have grievers who would be like, fuck you. I want that for my mom too. I don't get it. But some of it is being able to open your mind and soften your heart center so that your curiosity and and your expansive ideas in your imagination can let that stuff show up for you and you can notice it
1: and this is exactly where we're going to end this because it could not be more succinct into everything that you are that that everything it's just everything it's just everything it's just everything that's magic right there it's just magic uh I cannot thank you enough for this. And will Mm -hmm. you come on again? Will you come on again? Oh, yeah. And I'd love to have you come and talk. You know,
0: my family and I did a cross-country trip across, um, we did 28 national parks, 21 states as part of my grief journey. And I want to talk to you about all the being out in the world and the hiking, all that stuff. So... I want you to come on mine, but
1: I'll, yeah. Just tell me when. Let's my do it. Mom, Let's do right it. Let's do it. Um, I'll come on yours after my 10 days uh, yes. and share the yes. journey. I'm I'm going on a couple of, um couple of really great podcasts and, and there people are asking me the same. They're like, "Will you come on and share that. Hell to yes. the yes. yes. Anybody yes. I'll share with anybody. I think it's important. Amazing. Uh, it's just, you know, there are people that we meet that we say hell yes and you are a hell yes! Like, oh, you're so sweet. It's so good. It's so good. You're just heart centered, pure. So, where can people find you?
0: Yeah, so I'm at Grief is my side hustle. Is my podcast? There's a put that in right. It's more like my full time hustle these days. <sighs> um, but if you go there, you'll you can also find my website. I'm on Instagram. I've got a you know a pretty active platform there. I've got a couple of books coming out that you'll see on my. Um, one is a memoir. Uh, one is more like, uh, answering questions about the body and grief and loss. Uh, so yeah. And that, te- that'll tell you what podcasts I've been on and, you know, where I'm talking and where I'm lecturing. And if awesome. you, if anyone has companies that really are interested in grief informed or you think they should be becoming grief informed. So I do do a whole brown bag lecture series, you know, just about the core it's, it's basically like your fourth grade health class, uh, but instead about grief and loss for executives and super super cool. Yeah. People love it. And you know, I'm really working hard to have companies say that they are grief informed, that they make their decisions based on actual knowledge, not what Joan from HR said they should be doing. Um, and so if anyone's named Joan, that's in HR.
1: Joan, We love
0: you. We love you. (laughs) come on my website come on you know dm me i'm really responsive i have an assistant she's amazing and and we'll get in touch but i will send you a link and
1: you when you get back i would let's let's talk let's do it then, let's yeah. do it let's jam i love i love it i love jamming thank you, you for, for all absolutely thank you and thank you for being on and everybody grab your journal and go listen to this again because it was freaking awesome I'll be doing it. Um, When it, fresh grief is a full context sport, I'm in a full context sport right now.
0: Yes, <laughs> you are. You are. I mean, so it. What's so amazing is that you are able to also guide and lead from that space. For many yeah, of well, us, we hide
1: in that space. and I'm not hiding. I don't hide. Girls don't hide. Never have. Thank you for being on. And thank you. you soon. Okay. Thanks. My friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so grateful to have you here. I'd love to invite you over to sarahscheltencrans.com to receive five free meditations recorded by me or download your free guide on how nature is your perfect healing therapy. My site has many free resources to guide you on your life journey, many that I used myself while on my road from victim to survivor. And also, please, I ask that you share my podcast with those who may need inspiration, information, or who may need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review and subscribe. Go find it on other platforms such as Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please also go to my Instagram or Facebook page, leave a message in my comments, and tell me what you think of this episode. Please share in your stories and tag me. I'd love to reshare and celebrate your healing journey. I love hearing from each one of you. Let's keep the ripple going. It begins with each one of us. I love you. And as I always say, I believe in you, us, always. Seeking the truth never gets old.